Hi everyone, it's Dina McKay, and I'm back with a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged, the podcast that allows Blacks in tech to share their authentic stories with you, the listener. On each episode, the guest talks about how they got into tech, their work in the industry, and lessons they've learned during their journey. You can find full show notes for this episode on blacktechunplugged.com. On this episode, I have Jermaine Murray. Jermaine is known as the job father, but really he is the seasoned recruiter extraordinaire and founder of Jupiter HR. In his 30 years of life, he's been a part of countless interviews and held over 30 different roles across a variety of industries. Through his trials and tribulations, he finally found his true calling, recruiting. At Jupiter HR, Jermaine continues to help others find their calling and find fulfillment in their craft. So on today's episode, Jermaine and I talk about how to get your resume ready to apply to jobs. He also talks about his journey into tech because Jermaine did not hop into tech. And in fact, he's afraid of math. So you'll learn more about that. And last but not least, Jermaine and I talk about the Toronto tech scene and why it is a major tech hub. I hope you enjoy this episode. And if you do, make sure to rate and subscribe on whatever platform you're using to listen to this episode today. Now, let's get it. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged. I'm joined by Jermaine today. How's it going, Jermaine? It's going well. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and I think a lot of my listeners probably are familiar with you and your work. But for those who are not, give a brief introduction of yourself and what you do. My name is Jermaine Murray online. You might know me as Jermaine Jupiter or the job father. I am a career coach and a tech recruiter, and I've made it my life's mission to get as many black people in tech as possible or to help support as many black people in tech uh, as possible through the insights and the information provided to me as a recruiter. So Jermaine, we're going to have to jump into the moniker. You are the job father. Where did that come from? Uh, you know, it came from it came from a, one of my boys, actually. So to give your viewers some backstory, since 2019, I've always had this challenge of trying to get 100 people into tech in one year, right? Or 100 people in their jobs within tech in one year, whether that's getting them a new job or, you know, getting them, helping them break in. And I wasn't able to, I wasn't successful in the first two years, 2019 or 2020. We topped out at 67 and 85 respectively. So, you know, I was, I was watching, um, I was watching Malcolm X uh, and like, I was like trying to like find some inspiration. And then when he was like, by any means necessary, I was like, that's going to be like my motto, my approach. I'm going to help a hundred black people get jobs in tech by any means necessary. And I went on like this, this rampage and my friend, he was the 34th person that I helped. He was my best friend too, from like high school, 34th person that I helped get a job in tech last year. He was super skeptical because he spent about 10 years doing membership sales for uh, a fitness chain. And he was like, what skills do I possess that would make it worthwhile or, or like even make it viable or possible for me to get a job within tech? And we were able to put together like his skills in a way that showed him to be a really strong customer success manager. And he got a job offer where it was all remote. The base salary was the total comp he was making in the gym. And he only had to work four days a week. So he was like, yo, you literally gave me an offer. I couldn't refuse. You are the job father. And I was like, oh, shit, yeah. 
and that's how I how how it kind of came about. And the name is so ridiculous that it actually just st- sticks around. I think Jermaine Jupiter is much cooler than the Job Father, but like it's the Job Father that people remember. Yeah, I'll be honest. I always want to call you Jermaine Jupiter just because of Twitter. That's always my first thought. And I'm like, his last name is not Jupiter. <laughs> I mean, I'm okay with you. I'm okay with Jermaine Jupiter. Like, uh, I'll pretend like I'm like, like a rapper. Or you're calling me by my alias. You know, <laughs> get to live out my rap dreams without without actually being, actually performing. But now, nah, like, um, it was hilarious because I was also going through this whole phase where I was like watching like The Godfather, and like, I, I that's where my that's probably where my friend like got the inspiration, but. It it fits in a way because like um, I, I want to be I want to like be someone people can turn to when like they're at their worst for like their career or they're coming across blockers. I think a lot of people within like the black community as well, for some reason we don't we don't have access to the knowledge that we should for these different high impact industries and and sectors. Right, mm-hmm. I had no idea what a tech recruiter was growing up. I, I spent a lot of time of my life, of my early 20s, trying to figure out what I could do. And like, I never, like for the first 26 years of my life, I never considered tech as a viable solution because I was on the assumption that you had the program, right? Mm-hmm. And I had no one around me to talk to me about what what it's like to work in a tech, right? Not even from like a graphic designer point. Like there was no entry, no knowledge base. And hell, like I really, really lucked out in finding like my path because I, I went to school for communications and theater. Like to quote a comedian, that's I'm doubling, I was doubling down on unemployment. <laughs> I you know I've, I, in a lot of ways I'm I feel like I'm not even supposed to be here because I just kind of fell into it, but thank God that I fell into it. So I'm making my mission, especially for like black people to like spread awareness and also build up confidence that, you know, there is space for you as you are. And if you, if, if you can't find something that you enjoy, it's possible for you to gain the skills in a non-linear, non-traditional path and give your access to give yourself access to employment and opportunities that, uh, help you with work-life balance, make you feel fulfilled, and gives you all the perks that you see people talk about with a bunch of the drama that you see people that like they, that they don't talk about. But I promise you, it's worth it. And so you've touched on a few things. We're obviously going to go back and touch on probably all of them. But I want to start with getting into tech, because as you mentioned, you started off as like basically an English and journalism major. So how the hell did you make the transition into tech? I just leveraged my transferable skills and I put myself in a position or pursued roles where those skills would be of the most value and it would overcompensate for any lack of technical knowledge that I had. I started out by, I was in a dead end job and I was managing, I was managing an enterprise rental car branch and I was going to go insane because like, the customers were just disrespectful. I had to clean a car in 30 degrees weather in a suit. And like, it was just a bad day. All right. I was miserable. And I was like, if one more effing customer comes through that door, I might go to jail tonight. Yeah. Right. And I was just miserable. And I was like, you know, I thought about all the different things I wanted to do with my life. And I asked myself bluntly, like, yo, no judgment. If you could do anything in the world, what would it be? And I said, I would I would play video games. I want to get paid to play video games. And then I asked myself, 
are you willing to put in the work to become an esports player or to be a professional gamer? And I said, nah, but I would like to work around games. So like, I don't have to do this hunger game shit. The next time a PlayStation comes out, spoiler alert, I had to do the hunger game shit uh, to get the PlayStation. But so I went on Sony's website and I, like, I made a list of like game companies I wanted, I would work at. Right. And I just like, I was going on their job boards and just trying to educate myself on like what it is that they got going on and kind of see like what I could immediately do and what I could do and needed some figuring out in order to completely understand the top, the job descriptions. And I went on PlayStation first, I went on their job board and I, I looked for all the jobs that put an emphasis on communication skills. Cause I love to chat, right. Anything presentation uh, and anything that was like, just built on people skills. I suck at math. That's why I was I went for an English major. Like I ran from math, like I ran from it. So I was definitely not like that's why I'm not a programmer. I'm like I don't, I don't I'm not a programmer. It's not my it's not my forte algorithms and mathematical equations. No, nah, not me. That's not my ministry. Right? But um I found the opportunity a super senior technical recruiter and I was reading the job description and I was like I, I already I can do a lot of this. I already had my business doing resumes and interview prep. And it was a, a lot of it was like screening resumes, interviewing people. And then there was a sales aspect of convincing them to take your offer over the other. And I was like, if somebody gets me in a room and they ask me to convince them to take this offer over another, they are going to take the offer. Like I can convince them. I, I, I could definitely sell them on it. And I start, and then I saw that the only gap between what Sony was asking for and what I had was that they're asking for five years of experience doing this. So I scaled it back. I was like, all right, I want to work at Sony, but I need five years of recruitment experience. Where could I go to get that? Where are the entry level recruitment jobs are? And I found my way through agency recruitment, built up enough experience as an agency recruiter, and then transitioned into being an internal recruiter. And I've just been jumping to internal recruitment opportunities ever since. But it all started with identifying what skills would be the most valuable and packaging packaging them both in my resume and in how I talk and what skills or achievements I chose to highlight during discussions, conversations, or interviews um, through that lens, right? And convincing people that I had all, I already had everything that they wanted just from separate areas of my life. And there was no challenge in, in getting onboarded in this job because they're just asking me to put it together, right? And somebody was convinced they took a shot at me and like been going hard ever since. Now I want to make sure that people catch though. You said that you were doing resume reviews before actually getting into the role. Yeah. Why were you doing that? It sounds like it was a side hustle. It was me trying to process trauma. Uh, Let me explain. And I mean that in a jokey way, but not so much. Uh, So I went to school for broadcast journalism. And I wanted to be, when I graduated school, my goal was to be the Black Larry King, right? So I wanted to work on radio and everything. Um, my, my radio has audio chocolate. You guys, some people cringe when they hear that. I, I, I embrace that shit. And I had, a, I had a show for like 18 months on Sirius XM talking basketball. And I loved every second of it. And the show got canceled and I was heartbroken. And I was trying to get back into like radio. I want another radio job. And I was so desperate. I went to a resume writer and this resume writer 
charged me <laughs> charged me six hundred and fifty dollars plus tax, thirteen percent sales tax because it's in Toronto, it's in Ontario. Yeah. Six hundred and fifty dollars plus tax for a resume, and the resume ended up being six pages for eighteen months worth of experience, and. This resume writer just so happened. If anyone's listening to this and you're, you you live in Toronto, Markham and Ellesmere is where this resume writer was. And the reason, and down the street, down Markham Road is TSN, which is our, which is our sports network here in Canada. Mm-hmm. And I remember I got the resume from the guy and I drove all the way down Markham Road to TSN. I walked in the front door at TSN and there was a black lady, a Jamaican lady sitting at the front desk. Yeah. I walked up and I handed her my resume because my dad prior said that uh, we I need to do I, like I can't be sitting on my ass for my job search applying online. I need to walk in and hand in my resume and let them see me for what he said. So when I did that, the lady was like, who the hell are you? What are you doing here? This is not how we do this. She's like, honey, no. And then the joke was, yo, the joke was she took my resume because I have my resume in a dual tank, right? I have my resume in a duo tag and she did one of these wants to read this. It's too long. Would you want to read a novel? If you're on top of 100 different things you have to do. And she just ripped my ass apart. And I drove home from Scarborough all the way to Brampton. And I had a lot, long time to think because there's always traffic on the 401 and 410. And I just, I just wanted to know what, like, how I could prevent myself from going through this again. And I studied and I broke down and I made myself understand resumes, the dynamics of resumes, what they're, what they're for, you know, who, who, who reads them, you know, how to make a successful one. I realized that a resume is a sales pitch. It's marketing for your skill set. It's supposed to entice somebody to want to meet you. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's supposed to do it very quickly and efficiently. TV ads usually aren't long, right? There are 30 seconds to a minute. It's advertising. It's the same thing with your resume, right? And you want to front load it with just relevant shit because they don't have much time to read through the resume. They just want to know like what's relevant and what's going to make them say like, this person's going to make my life easier. And once I understood that dynamic, I started writing resumes and I just started jumping jobs, right? Because it would be like, my friends used to make this joke. Like I would get, I would either get fired on a Friday or I'll quit on a Friday and I'd have a new job on Tuesday, right? Because I was just able to like, just jump and job hump. The joke was, is that I got to a point where I got cocky with my applications. I started like, I would like, you know, we would be having like smoking sessions in my, in my boy's car. We were going to pass on the, the, the spliff and everything. And I'd be applying on Indeed. And I'd be like, I bet you, I bet you, we'd be betting money on like which, which uh, applications are going to call me back. Right. And I just felt so cocky about, about, about the resume. And I won most of the time. So they're like, yo, can you make, can you make us resumes? And I started making the resumes and then my boy started getting jobs. And it was like, you know, that's how the business kind of came about from the trauma of this man charging me $650 for a six page resume with 18 months of experience on it, which I'll never get over. Your resume should never be more than two pages, even if you have 20 years of experience. And for a year and a half of experience, this man gave me a six page resume. Six pages. Six pages. Now that you've learned the lesson from that, because you are way beyond that stage, give me and the listeners like your top three tips when building out your resume. Uh, number one, have a clear intention of what you want the resume to say about your skill set and who and understand who the resume is for. 
So understand your audience, more or less, right? Uh, if you're applying for a uh, data analyst job, it doesn't make sense for you to be putting your experience as a cashier unless you were doing data analyst related stuff as a cashier, right? So that's number one, understand your audience and write to your audience. Number two, never go past two pages. The trouble that a lot of people do is that they uh, give an even amount of attention and detail to each of their experiences on their resume, when in fact, the most relevant and the most important and where you need to put the most bullet points is the most recent experience. Anything that's older than like three to five years, if you're not using those current skill sets within your current job or as a consultant in your side hustle or something like that, those skills are considered like expired. They're outdated, right? Mm-hmm. What was the world like three years ago? We were all outside. So you have to, so like, you know, put the relevant stuff with the current experience, mm-hmm. only focus on relevant stuff on your resume. Don't go beyond two pages. That's rule number two. Rule number three, always skim your resume in 10 seconds and try to see what you come away with. Are you able to retain and understand the, the intention that we set out in point number one? And if not, you got some tweaking to do. Okay. Okay. I want to throw in another question because most times when people are talking about resumes too, Everyone wants to put those keywords. And so what they'll do is like slap the keywords, their summary or somewhere on the resume, I'll say. How do you feel about keywords? Keywords are important for your resume, but people are doing it for the wrong reason. So when I, whenever people talk to me about keywords or buzzwords, it's always a relation of trying to like trick the ATS systems or the AI behind the ATS systems. And I, I'm here to officially tell you, as somebody that you, has used ATSs, for every day for the last seven years, like most companies don't have the ATSs that you're afraid of with the auto reject. Anytime you get a reject email, it's because a man like me read your resume, say you're not a good fit for the position, and then hit a button that sent out a rejection email. But a human being always verifies and checks and sees like what's on your resume. Um, so people put buzzwords in because they think it'll bypass the system. I've had people tell me that they put buzzwords at the bottom of the resume in invisible ink right or in white in, in white font right to, to 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 bypass the screening shit and i'm like that's not how that works right you just look like an idiot you know sometimes we sometimes like we see we see that there's the keyword and we're like what the fuck is this right mm-hmm. um the reason why keywords are important though is because of what i mentioned earlier recruiters skim right they're skimming and they're looking for keywords to help them retain an impression of you that you can do the job. Keywords are best used when you put them in your skills chart at the top of your resume. And then within like the actual experience and the context, like the content of like the body of the resume, you are giving context to how those skills were used in what settings and how you made achievements and exceeded expectations in the work environment using those skills and those keywords. And that's because when somebody is reading, right, mm-hmm. they're going to see your name, they're going to see the skills, aka the keys, the keywords that you put, and then they're going to go to your experience and they're going to read how you use those same skills in settings where you made money for the company or saved the company money, depending on what your function is. And you know what? I want to dig just a little bit deeper on the subject of resumes, keywords, all that. 
And this is based on even your previous experience of you transitioned into tech, right? Well, as a recruiter. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people, when they transition in, obviously they think putting all these keywords is the best way to go and all that good stuff. So for someone who's transitioning into tech, needs to update their resume to actually get some hits when they apply for certain jobs, what tips and advice do you have? Well, I would ask, I would say the first tip I would say is to have a clear understanding of like what your gap is, right? Um, What your gap is from the job that you want. Because some skills, some transferable skills are going to matter more in other jobs than they will uh, other jobs compared to other opportunities. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, somebody could be a strong customer success person, customer service person, right? Mm-hmm. And project managers and customer success managers are two different jobs that both value that type of experience. But because of the technical implications of a project manager, right, they might value the customer service skills less than, say, the customer success manager, where there is no technical aspect to it. And then they can understand clearly like one-to-one how you would be a good fit for this position, right? Mm-hmm. So it's understanding where you're, where you're, where the most value is going to be. And then, because sometimes like where you're most valuable and what you want are two separate things. What you're, what you're good at and what you've had success with are two separate things, two separate kind of discussions. So you need to figure out like where, like what kind of approach you're taking and which approach has the most value. Right. And that's why you got to be fluid and you got to be able to like be willing to like move and change your perspective on yourself to see different angles and different ways you can package your skills and like understand which opportunities are going to value which skills more. So when you put yourself in those positions, in those rooms and having those discussions, people, it's easier for people to be like, I can see how this person is going to improve the thing that we got going on here. One point to also add to that is, so you mentioned knowing the gap, right? But knowing the role itself is very key because some Mm -hmm. people just be applying for any and everything and don't even know what the role really calls for. So knowing the actual role and what you need to do so you can amplify, you know, what you've already experienced is very key. Don't just be applying to any old random job and hoping for the best. Exactly. Exactly. Like, again, like, you got that's why I said you got to be intentional because you got to understand you got to understand what it is the job is looking for like what they're actually asking for and you got to put your best foot forward to answer that call like I, like I am I am the specialist for the this special problem that you have. Yep. So also while you were speaking, you mentioned that you're actually from the six. So if people miss that, you are from Toronto, Canada. Uh, from Toronto. 100% honest. A lot of people don't see Toronto as a huge tech hub. That's a mistake. Okay, so let's talk through that. So what's the Toronto tech scene like? Zoom, Facebook, Salesforce, Airbnb. Um, There's more. There's tons more. But I'll just start off with those companies. You don't have those companies without Toronto. Full stop. You, you don't um, look up the University of Waterloo, Blackberry. Mm-hmm. Are you? I don't know. I don't know, Dina. You 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 look you look very young, so I don't know if you remember Blackberries. Oh yes, I remember uh, Blackberry. And you remember Blackberry? Yeah, it was because it was um, based in Waterloo. Waterloo. That's 
Yep, yep, yep. yep. And that's 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 that Toronto tech scene, that Kitchener Waterloo tech scene. So like Toronto is a huge tech hub when it comes to talent, so much so that we have San Francisco coming in and using the US currency against Canadian companies to leverage and poach talent, right? Mm-hmm. We are just as every bit as good as our US counterparts. We understand the culture, we understand the language, we're cheaper as a workforce because of our currency yeah um, so we are highly in demand um, and a lot of startups be starting out in toronto right so don't underestimate us don't underestimate us i i would say like like first of all toronto is more expensive than san francisco as a city to live in right and that's because of how active the tech sector is right mm-hmm. and we have so much innovation going on like tech is what's driving our city or driving our hub and you know, like again, we got we got we we export a lot of San Francisco, a lot of talent to San Francisco. So like, some of your like this, we on Zoom right now. We wouldn't have this without Toronto Tech. But I ha- I have heard also that they're stealing your talent and they're taking their talents to the Bay. So I mean, we taking our talents to the Bay, but like that's just the internet connection. We still in Toronto. <laughs> and from a startup scene perspective. Would love to get your take on what are some of the startups that you see that you think are going to take off, at least, let's say, in the next year. Hard to say. I can't really answer because, like, yo, the economy is in, is in the uh, gutter and it's, it's only going lower. Um, it's very interesting to see, like, a lot of, a lot of the, the scale ups, I like to call them, like the companies are, are in between enterprises and startups that had a lot of pandemic fueled growth. If they didn't have, like, consistent, profitable revenue models, they are the ones that are suffering right now. Um, while as like the smaller startups, they're kind of weathering the storm because they haven't planned to go profitable for a couple of years. So it's like business as usual. But within Toronto Seed, so think about the Canadian markets is that I've noticed that they each have like a little bit of theme or like, or they're influenced. They're influenced by like the city that they're based in. I'll give you an example. Um, historically speaking, Toronto has been the financial heart of Canada. It's where our stock market is located. It's where most of the head, our big banks are headquartered. Our Wall Street is in Toronto, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. As a result, we have a lot of financial institutions, investment companies, investment firms, real estate investment trusts, right? Teachers, pension plan unions, like everything, money is, is around Toronto. And as a result, we have a shit ton of fintech companies, fintech startups based in the city. And it's because I genuinely believe that a lot of our, our, our talent was exposed to the financial or the insurance industry, saw the problems firsthand and decided that they could build out um, these solutions because there's definitely a customer base for it. Mm-hmm. Montreal, which is the French part of Canada, has always been known for its arts and theaters, right? And like being the heart of like Canadian expressionalism. Like this is where like your artist artists hang out. It's in Montreal, right? If you if you're an artist in Toronto or, or in Canada, everyone does at least like one pilgrimage to Montreal where they where they live in Montreal for like a couple of months or a couple of years or something. And Montreal's tech scene is all what they call deep tech, artificial intelligence, being creative with technology to solve new problems, green tech, 
audio, audio technologies, computer vision, right? Things that we've never seen before, breakthroughs are happening in Montreal. That's where all of our video game companies are based out of as well. And they do, like I said, artificial intelligence within their video games. And then we got healthcare, we got a healthcare sector, Vancouver, where we film our own movies. That's where all of our marketing tech and ad tech companies are based out of. So different themes. It's interesting that you mentioned kind of like all of the major cities, because to be honest, so I go to Toronto every year. So I'm f- familiar with Toronto, familiar with the tech scene there. Never really thought of exploring outside like Montreal and Vancouver. So it's interesting that you bring that up. Of course. Like you definitely like there's so much variety in Toronto or in Canada, I should say. Ah, they should just rename Canada Toronto, to be honest with you. But like the, that's the beauty of, of like, I think both both the United States and Canada is that there's a lot of diversity in our lands. And because that diversity affects the way that people live. And because it affects the way that people live, it affects the way people think. And if it affects people the way they think, it affects the way that they create. So it is always interesting to go to a new environment and checking out like the different scenes. I, like you can do it with sports. Every city has a sports seed, even if they don't have like a like a, a NBA or NFL or MLB or a soccer league. There's still a sports scene there. You check out the sports scene, right? right. Or you check out like the tech scene. Like I always like to go see check out like the tech scene or black tech is like I always like going to new places and seeing how black you living, right? Right. Um, if there and like and then if there is big enough population, seeing what the black tech scene is like. I lived in Montreal for almost for almost two years. And I networked by trying to figure out where all the black tech workers were at. And it was a great time. I met a lot of scientists. I got a lot of friends that are PhD holders. I got friends that work video games. And like, it's uh, it's crazy. It's just a space I never thought I'd be in. But like, yeah, Canada as a whole is a tech hub. I would say the major tech markets in the world, definitely Canada, United States, UK uh, would round out my top three. Uh, and then I would have Germany sitting at the uh, like in the fourth okay and actually because you bought it up i have to ask about diversity and inclusion and what you're seeing from a canadian slash you know toronto perspective oh it's trash <laughs> i mean i was hoping gonna say a different answer because as you probably know america has a, sim- a similar experience america actually low-key does better for their representation numbers than we do um less than three, 3.9% of Toronto, of Canada's work tech workforce are black. I believe America's at 10.1. Wow. Why do you think the numbers are so low? Um, a Canada as a whole is significantly smaller than the United States. Okay. Uh, we only have 36 million people coast to coast. For reference, Texas, California, and New York have more people. Uh, Los Angeles, New York City have more people than our entire country. So the population is smaller, the currency is weaker, and we're spread out over a larger land landmass. We have a much smaller pro- population of Black people. And the conspiracy theorist in me uh, definitely believes that they changed up a lot of immigration laws to prevent Black people from coming over. But like, Canada, just like I would say, like this last hundred years is where like the majority of black people have started to come up to Canada. Beforehand, it was like uh, people from Underground Railway, Underground um, Railroad, Underground Railroad. Thank you. Are are people that were brought over as slaves and then freed? 
those were the type of black people that were in Canada beforehand, right? And I, a lot of them settled in like Nova Scotia, for instance. Um, and then during the 50s, when the, the sorry, during the 30s, at, uh, when World War II was going on, and Canada was still heavy within the British Commonwealth, right? We also invited Caribbean workers to come up and establish roots up here, right? And so that kind of opened the gateway. And then eventually the 70s, we now had mass migration from like the Caribbean and like the early 2000s was like from Africa. But I've noticed that other demographics uh, have been able to keep up their immigration numbers, but not us. And always try to, I always found that curious. You feel like Black Canadians experience the same situations in the workplace as the U.S.? Yes, it's the same, man. Races, white people, races, white people are racist, white people. True. Uh, it's, it's closer here, like, it's closer here than it is in, like, like the United States and Canada are very similar mm-hmm. in comparison to, like, the U.K., because the U.K.'s racism is wrapped up a lot in, like, classism. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know if you'd be a racist or you, or you're just looking at me because I'm a poor, uh, <laughs> uh, but like the Canada, the United States, like, I think the United States do, does a better job of handling racism than Canada does because y'all are at least willing to admit that y'all are racist. I suppose. I mean, like, sorry, half of you are willing to admit like the other half, like the other half keeps saying it, it's their history. Which, anyway, which is its own conversation. But, like, yeah, a lot of Canadians, up until, like, the George Floyd incident, a lot of Canadians, like, a lot of white Canadians really turned a blind eye to, like, the struggles of racism being highlighted by marginalized people because they bought into this notion or this idea that they were the good guys because that's what the Canadian PR and marketing machine turned out. Right. Canadians are the nice guys. Canadians are the good guys. Right. Did you know they, I had to find I found this out in my 20s, but Montreal, the French side of Canada, mm-hmm. um, was burned down in a slave rebellion by a black woman. Wow. And hung her. I didn't know that. Yeah. 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 They don't teach you that in school. They don't teach you about how they had Toronto. The Confederation had allies in Toronto that were planning to do a pincer attack to assassinate the vice president when he was up here. They didn't tell you about how Canadians tried to assassinate Abraham Lincoln. They didn't tell you about that, did they? Yeah, because they, we try, they, they were trying to be like, yeah, fuck the crown. We want slavery back too. And then don't even get me started on the indigenous residential schools. Mm-hmm. We're still finding out bodies of like indigenous children in these residential schools and they're by the hundreds. And it's like Canada is a, is a racist ass country that fooled itself into believing it was otherwise. And woo, we got to go back and do like a history episode now because, yeah, you mentioned a lot just from a historical perspective, but you are absolutely right. It was always the narrative that, you know, Canada, you guys were the good guys and everyone's so friendly, the neighbors up north. And it's like once the whole incident with George Floyd happened, we're kind of seeing that the same thing is going on just in a different place. And so it's very interesting to hear firsthand from someone who lives there Go back to a lighter note and more back on the tech side. So, Jermaine, you worked at many companies as a recruiter, but you ended up starting your own business. And so I want you to tell my listeners what that business is, which I'll just say it's Jupiter HR. But then also, what was your motivation for starting your own company as opposed to just working for someone else? 
So Jupiter HR, career coaching practice, resume writing service. Um, we do interview prep. We help people with their job applications. We support people and, and help them with their job applications. We do referrals with companies. We do recruitment events. We recruit and we also, again, coach people for interviews and help them just making sure that people are more attuned when they're going for their job search or their job interviews. Uh, but we take a special interest in Black people. Like uh, This might sound a little off, but people ask me all the time, do you do you only help Black people? And I go, no, I, I help, we help all kinds of people from all backgrounds. We just celebrate the Black ones um, more than the others. And I know that sounds awful, but uh like it is what it is like i said like we we represent only 3.9 percent of the industry um so i like i have to i have to overcorrect to balance that out right right so we we specialize in that and right now our our, our biggest our, our milestone achievement that we're working towards is to say that we've helped 500 black people get new jobs in tech we're at 324 and my business is just to get to that 500 for people who are listening, what are ways that they can help you get to that 500? You can help by getting to that 500 by either directly booking our services, resumes or career coaching, uh, salary negotiation, interview mock interviews, or even just following up, following me on social media. I do I do uh, share a lot of free resources there and in, engaging in those resources, using them to help yourself or you can help people that you know. A retweet or like a, a share is always appreciated. And uh, if you also know if like your company is hiring or your company is looking to get more black people in the funnel, mm-hmm. hit us up. You know, we can either set up a referral program with your company or take them on uh, for recruitment engagement and really inject black people into their pipeline. Yep. And actually, I took one of your tweets. Someone I was working with was looking for a new role and that Etsy job that you tweeted about their apprenticeship, I should call it. Yes. Um, someone, I had someone apply for that. So yes, you do tweet a lot of very helpful information in different roles. So definitely follow you on Twitter. What is your Twitter handle for people who are listening? All one word, Jermaine Jupiter with a J and an E at the end. That's how you, that's the correct way to spell Jermaine. <laughs> I have not seen Jermaine spelled in many other ways, but I'm sure people get creative out here. And Jermaine, so I want to dig into, because I know there are a lot of people, or I should say, I'm seeing more people act as like career coaches and getting into that lane. People who are looking for a career coach, what do you recommend they look for when seeking out that resource? When it comes to career coaches, I think the number one thing is to go with your gut and to see how you feel about them and like the dynamic or rapport that you have with them. I feel like it's important for a career coach to always establish and understand what your needs and your success, what your needs and what your want is and your definition of success and adhering to that. A career coach will always will also always be real with you. I never met a career coach that was good at their job that suggested that any type of career transition could be done in a matter of, of, of weeks. It takes a lot of hard work takes a lot of time. Sometimes you get lucky, sometimes that you don't, right? So a career coach should be honest with you about timelines. And also uh, a career coach should establish boundaries. We're not here to do the job for you. We're not here to make the decision for you, right? We're, we're not here to do the work for you. We're here to tell you what the best route is. We're here to tell you how to optimize the skills that you have. And we're here to tell you of, of the, the challenges and pitfalls that you could expect 
We're also here to help you when the unexpected happens and you need to navigate through the bullshit. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of timeline, because I know you've seen the Twitter fights about transitioning into tech and you should get six figures right away. You've probably read and heard it all. What is your perspective on some of that, though? How long would you say when you're working with someone, let's just say they have no tech experience and they're transitioning into tech to get into the industry and actually get a role? One to three years. Really? It could happen before that one year mark, but it all like it all depends on like how technical of a role you're going, like how what kind of experience that you have and like how big of a jump are we talking? And depending on what you have to learn and what you have to produce project wise. Yeah, it could be anywhere from like you should steal yourself. If you're brand new breaking in, mm-hmm. steal yourself for at least one year. Interesting. OK. I think you are the first person, well, I haven't asked a bunch of people, but the first person to say a year, usually people are like, oh, it can, it can take a couple months, which it I can, think. it can, like, don't get me wrong. It can. Right. But like for your own sanity, mm-hmm. for your own sanity, budget for a year and be pleasantly surprised if it happens before that. Okay. Okay. And today we've talked a lot about resumes, your job as a career coach, and also your transition into the industry, as well as the Toronto tech scene. But to wrap up our conversation today, being at the six-month mark of the year, we're halfway through 2022. What do you foresee happening for you for the next six months? What are some of your goals? Some of my goals, uh, some of my goals would be to extend and establish more partnerships, right? I think right now we are at one, two, three, four, five. So we're at five formal recruitment partnerships with uh, with uh, companies. I'd like to see that number double by the end of the year. Um, and I'd like to see my team grow in terms of recruiters and sourcers in order to help us get to like, I can get to 500 on my own, but the next stage after 500 is a thousand. And after a thousand, it's 10,000. And after 10,000, it's 100,000. I can't do it by myself. So growing the team, identifying like-minded individuals and pulling them into the fold so we can really do this work is 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 one of my key goals next for the next six months. Overall, like you just want to be able to like help, but also like scale and grow um, so that I, I find that I didn't used to charge for any of my services. And I found that I got overwhelmed really, really early, really easily. And I wasn't doing anyone any good. So like the charging of the services was able to like filter and like organize and figure out what people want, but also like to sustain myself. And I'm getting closer and closer where this can be like uh, what I do full time. And like, that's the other thing I would like to have by the end of the year to be able to like have this grow to a point where I can support myself full time. Awesome. And I mean, so you really wasn't charging people for your services before? Yeah. The joke was, is that um, I wasn't. And then my girl I started dating my partner and she she heard one of my coaching calls and she was like, that was amazing. How much did you charge that person? And I was like, I, I didn't charge her. And she was like, you did that for free? And we had, this, <laughs> we had this conversation about like value and like people attributing worth. And I didn't listen to her at first. Mm-hmm. And over the course of a week, I got stood up five times. Wow. And because she kept saying to me that people don't value free. I got stood up five times. So she challenged me to start charging. And she was like, let me know when the person, a person that you charge just flakes on you. It doesn't show up. I was almost like three years ago for like the career coaching thing. And no one has flopped. So she had a point. 
Yes. Plus, always charge what you're worth. You are not worth free. <laughs> I, honestly, my whole thing was I, I'm just trying to I'm, I'm just trying to help as many people as possible. And like, especially black people, you know, you know, we have we have more barriers in other communities. And I always try to be accessible, which is why even though like I may charge for a lot of my services, I'd still insist on creating free content and hosting free spaces and hosting free sessions. And uh, I charge to make people resumes, but I give away a free resume template with a guide on how to make your own resume, right? With a guide of everything that I do when I'm making a resume. So like, I always try to like provide people value one way or the other. And that's definitely what I preach about you and the work that you're doing is that your ultimate goal is not to make money, but to help people within the black community get into tech. So definitely can say I can appreciate that. And one final question for today is in regards to resumes. So you've seen, probably seen a lot and you've probably seen some crazy things, but what is the one thing that you constantly see on resumes that you wish people would stop? Please stop putting professional summaries on your resumes and put the education at the bottom of the resume. Oh, let's go through professional summary though. Why not? Why no professional summary? The most valuable, most valuable space on your resume is the first third based on what we said about people skimming through your resume. Mm -hmm. Professional summary doesn't do anything but waste time in the most valuable real estate of your resume. Oh, so then what should people put at the top? Their skills. Mm -hmm are their keywords, and then they jump into their experience. Interesting. Because from the resumes I've seen, they've always had that professional summary at the top. So, Have you sat and screened 100 resumes before? Not 100, but a lot of resumes, yes. <laughs> Do you, and you, you, start, you, start skipping, you start skimming and skipping through those professional summaries, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Listen, yeah, you, you, do. you can't get my secrets out now, but yes. Yes, you do. Coming through that, yes. Folks listening, I just proved why you don't need the professional summary. Thank you, Dean. <laughs> you are accurate, and Jermaine, I appreciate your time today. Any final words, tips, or advice to give the people listening to this episode? Tips or advice? Honestly, the best thing you can always do is to network, go out, and find community. Find people that look like you with experiences like you, and try to genuinely learn about who they are. Become sincerely curious about people and you'll find and, and want and have a desire to meet as many people as possible. And you will build the ultimate network from that point of view. Excellent. Well, Jermaine, again, thank you for your time today. I think my listeners have learned a lot about resumes and all the lives we've been told at this point. So appreciate your tips and advice. My pleasure. Thank you for having me and all the best to you, Dina, and great work here. Thank you for listening to Black Tech Unplugged. I'm Dina McKay, and you can find the show on all social media platforms under Black Tech Unplugged. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to this episode. And if you have a few extra minutes, make sure to leave a five-star review too. It will help me out a lot and help other people find the podcast. Until next time.